welcome quest for you fans and friends this is episode 512 and i bring you another quest story this quest story is special it is a true quest story and i have a hard time finding words i listened to the interview with miguel three four times as i was editing it and every time i listened to it i found something else some gem in this wonderful conversation with a very special person and a very good friend of mine and the reason this is a true quest story because as you will hear Miguel has a very special story and I won't give much away but the reason I titled this episode learning how to breathe is this is what Miguel talks about he's showing us how he learned how to breathe when he went to prison and when he came out of prison trying to adjust back to life we can learn from Miguel how to breathe we can learn how to be more intentional about our life and this is what I gained in this conversation it was just so touching to me how a person has come so far has made such big leaps because he is self-determined and self-driven to be the best he can be and this is the essence of what I want to do with this podcast quest for you I can't tell you a better example of a person who has really undertaken this journey of a quest for himself Miguel is special and I hope you enjoy this interview with him and listen carefully for the little gems and the little pieces of information that he shares and that you can take on for your life as well. Above all, I want you to listen carefully for how much Miguel loves, loves life, loves the people around him, and especially his community. We need more loving people in this world. So here you go. Enjoy this amazing interview with Miguel. You can find him on Instagram. He talks about his company that he's established called Centaur Athletics. And I will link to it in my show notes as well. Feel free to reach out to Miguel. He's an amazing trainer. If you are looking for somebody here in San Francisco or Oakland to train with, he's your guy. Enjoy and I can't wait to talk to you soon. Much love. Now let me, okay, let's do a formal introduction. Okay, hi Miguel. Hey, Janine, what's up? <laughs> Thank you for coming here and uh, um, joining me for this interview. I invited you because from the first time I met you at Toastmasters, right. I was very impressed by your energy level, your dedication. You, I mean, you were so driven. First I thought, Wow, you know, I get why you're here. You wanted to become a better speaker and a lot of ums and when you talk <laughs> right, a lot. Right. <laughs> and just like I'm doing right now. And uh, but I've noticed just from the short time I watched you in Toastmasters how quickly you improved and I was so impressed. You are driven and motivated to excel and I want to know right. a lot of people don't have that drive. I want to know where it comes from for you. Hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is uh, understanding patterns. 
Like, I understand that if there's something that you want to do, there's things you have to do in order to get that. So, for example, like, you know, as a child, uh, boxing was my thing. And I wanted to be a champion one day, maybe go to the Olympics. I knew there were things that I had to do in order to get that. So just, like, um, understanding that and really, really applying it, you know. And I also learned that there's a difference between wanting things and, like, really, really wanting things. And I never actually, like, wanted things. I always really, really wanted everything. So um, with that in mind, I just had that approach to everything and um so you used to box yeah, yeah i boxed um as a child yeah since uh i was 11 i think oh wow yeah funny story how i got into that so um growing up i grew up really like i loved people uh-huh. and i loved to dance and i loved to cook and i had like this funny face freckle face you know big cheeks you know really really nice little kid my dad some big mexican guy he saw me and uh he had his ideas about what was going on with me. He thought, I remember him telling me, like, he thought I was thought I was gay. You know, so as a kid, I thought that was wrong. You know, I was like, no, I don't want my dad to think I was gay because, you know, my dad is everything. So I try to do manly stuff around him, talk with a deeper voice sometimes. And I remember one day as I was taking my sister to preschool, I saw King's Boxing Gym. So I got into King's Boxing Gym to prove to my dad I was a man, quote. And um, little by little, I just started getting good at it. And um, when I was about 12, I think, I was in the newspapers. And that, yeah, that was like, that's what changed my life. So you did it to impress your dad? Initially, to impress my dad, wow. yeah. yeah. And how did, did it work? Yeah, I think I got some, I mean, as much approval as someone like him could give me. I get, got a little bit of approval. And yeah. where was that? Where did you grow up? Um, in Oakland, I grew up in Oakland. Oh, you grew up in Oakland. Yeah, I grew oh, up I in Oakland. Know. Okay. Yeah. And your mom is still here, and your sister—they came to Toastmasters once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're very close to them, right? Yeah, yeah, really, really close. I think that's what really saved me when I was in prison, having that foundation, like the family foundation. Mm-hmm. And um, how long were you in prison? Seventy-two months, I think. Wow. Seventy-two months. Yeah. I have no clue about prison i mm. mean from other than watching tv <laughs> yeah. what has it changed in you your time in prison how has it changed you as a person and wow. why wow that's <laughs> a heavy question how has it changed me it just made me uh i went really in depth into like the human psychology and um what humans especially men they're capable of and what they're like one of the biggest things i learned is that the energy there is crazy It's like really, really intense. The energy around a person there is crazy. You know, everyone has strong energies. I remember when I was 19, I moved into this new prison, my first prison, and it was uh, some really dangerous prison. I remember walking in to the building. I just, it was like, there was like this thickness in the air that I couldn't penetrate for some reason. I knew that if I wanted to get past another step, that I had to be stronger. Like, it it wasn't tangible, but it was very much tangible. Like, it was something that I actually felt. So I learned that if I had to survive, my energy, whatever energy I had, had to be strong. Like, you had to prove yourself as a person. As a person, yes, yes. I knew that everything I did, like, when I spoke, when I read, when I ate, it had to be both poised and it had to be really, really strong. 
if not, you'd see, you see, you know, I went in when I was 18. I saw other kids that were 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. I see, I see them uh, get taken advantage of. You know, you, you hear about it, you watch it, you see, and um, sometimes like the cells would be connected. There's like an AC would be between ourselves, so we would we could listen to what's going on to the cell uh, next to us, and oftentimes. You know, you'd have an older guy, like someone in his late 30s and 40s with a younger kid, with someone that's 20, 21, and um, you would listen to the conversations, like not even wanting to, but it's like right there. And you would listen to, to what's going on. You listen to like the kids, like bad stuff happening to them. Yeah, I just um, remember that like echoing in my mind sometimes. You know, so in terms, in terms of like energy, I knew that anything I had to do, like I had to come hard, if not stuff like that, what happened to me wow is that i think maybe where some of your energy that i sense your <laughs> determination is that kind of where it comes from like you now i know you as this person who wants to be successful you want to excel and you have like <laughs> done this amazing i think job in finding yourself as mm -hmm. a person mm -hmm. just from the little that i know you so you feel like a lot of it came from there you had to make it and you had to be someone there in order to survive almost? I think the seed is was in me, as I think everyone has the same seed. But I think Oakland really, really cultivated, mm -hmm. you know, the seed. You know, I think in Oakland, you see everyone around you, they're just like hustlers, everyone's hustling, everyone's speaking a certain way, so elegant, so poetic, you know, the money, everything is really, really fast. Mm -hmm. You know, my father was really, really hard on me and he would teach me a lot, so. Early on, I um, kind of grew up with that poetry, grew up with that um, sternness. So when I went to prison, I just knew that the way I lived life, I wouldn't say passive, but the energy kind of like floating, I knew that I had to be more direct if I wanted to survive. And at that point, it was like survival. Like it wasn't something, it wasn't the game. It was like I had to really, really be firm otherwise. I don't know if I can ask that question. You can tell me. Did anything bad happen to you in prison? So, when I was 18, I saw bad stuff happening. Uh -huh. And I th and I questioned, I questioned myself. I asked, if I wanted to survive for the next seven years, should I be like that? Should I be as violent as them? But it just didn't make sense to be like them because my mom taught me something different. My mom taught me that a man was mysterious, a man was elegant, a man was poised, and a man was intelligent. So I had what well, my mom taught me what a man was, and I had what these men are teaching me what a man was. And at that point, I had to make a decision. And I decided that I was going to believe what my mom taught me what a man was. So I started reading books, and I started like loving people. And I... Uh, that's that's what um, kind of like shaped me. So I just loved everyone, and it's so crazy. Like I genuinely was curious about them, and then I had like the eloquence, mm -hmm. thank God, from um, Oakland, and I had the confidence because of boxing. So I was like this anomaly in prison, and I loved people. And did that get, did it gain you respect? And the funny people? thing about that is that 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 there's this mysterious force that love is that there's no denying people accept it and things happen hmm. when you love them and I just thank God that kind of like 
the big, the big, the big bad wolves, mm-hmm. they were kind of fond of me and they would protect me. So the first couple of years, love protected me. It's, fasc- it's fascinating to me because it seems like you really made a strategic decision <laughs> when you got there. I mean, you surveyed, you saw what was going on. Yeah. You decided, I'm mm-hmm. not going to get pulled into this. Mm-hmm. At least that's from what, from what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And you made a strategic decision of who you're going to be. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you found your niche. <laughs> and it, you survived that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now that I'm a man, I'm, that I understand patterns and a uh, little bit more of the social construct. I see what happened. I think at the time it wasn't, it was, I didn't think that far ahead. You know, right. I, I wasn't that strategic. I just knew that I had to love and I knew that that's who I was and I was, had to be within my nature. But mm-hmm. yeah, now that I think back, I'm starting to see that, how that happened. How did prison change your relationship with your dad? So my father was actually in prison. Come oh. to find out, I didn't even know. I found out two years into prison, into, into my term. I understood my father so much. Oh, wow. Yeah. He would do a lot of things similar to what other uh, prisoners would do. Mm. As far as like the way he spoke to me, his intensity, you know, and um, his harshness and his discipline. Yeah, mm. I, I saw that in other people. And the more, the more I started reading books, I asked myself, hmm, I wonder if my father was in prison with me. How would we get along? Mm-hmm. You know, just, I think that's a... Or just like seeing my father in prison, like because he was. I wonder what he would be like. I wonder in the hierarchies in prison, how 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 would he be like? Did your relationship change with him, or did did he that you were in prison? Did he was he upset? Did he continue seeing you? Or? So my father left um, when I was about fourteen. Oh. He he went back to Mexico. Oh okay. Yeah. So there wasn't too much communication. And mm. um, <clears throat> when I was in prison, there was a lot of qu- things that I questioned. You know, as a man, mm-hmm. questions about life, about as a man, like how am I going to be a man? What to do as a man? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I wish I had someone to ask. Yeah, I wish I had a role model, uncle, a father, a stepfather. I had no one. Did you not find maybe somebody in prison, somebody you're related to? As much as, as much as I would love to take advice from a prisoner, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's still taking advice from a prisoner. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I feel maybe there was, you know, some of the people that protected you. Maybe they did have deep inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, like ask the guy I, with the iPad. Like, hey, man, uh, what, do you, what do you think about this situation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. so you turned to books. Yes. Oh. And how did you get to that? Are there books in, in prison? There was a correlation. There was, a, there was an intense correlation between my happiness and the amount of books in a certain prison. When I just went into prison, when I went, first went into jail, I, I started reading the Bible, and that just changed my, changed my life, um, gave me this different perspective. I always found a curiosity, curiosity with different cultures. So I went to my first prison, and I started learning about uh, the German culture. Then I started learning about the Italian culture, then the, per- the Portuguese culture. And that's what just... Based on the people that were there from based those on, countries? Based on, the, based on the people, and it was more that I was aware of how naive I was. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, there's an ambivalence there because it was like an excitement that there's so much to learn. But at the same time, there's, there's an embarrassment that I really don't know anything. Um, so I started reading more books and more books and more books and this book and that book and this book. And 
even though I was in prison, even though I was in California, in this remote town in the middle of nowhere, my mind was not there. My mind was somewhere in Russia. My mind was uh, in the early 1940s, excuse me, in the, in the, in the 1400s, in the mm-hmm. Renaissance. So even though I, I didn't um, have any as much role models, physical role models, I felt that oftentimes the characters in the books hmm. would kind of like guide me. Yeah. What well, sounds like you were kind of growing up still in prison. Absolutely. You know, you weren't, yeah. I mean, I, I think you did normal things that people would do in that age, you know, your mm. early 20s, whatever, 19, 20. They would do that on the outside. They would travel. Mm. Well, you couldn't travel, so you read books, <laughs> yes. you know, or they would meet people from other places or Absolutely. you take classes or do things or work with people from different countries. You you kind of, you mm. explored. I mm. think you just explored life and... It's part of growing up. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a really good way to put it, yeah. yeah. How was how was it coming out? Did you have a plan that when you were going to, like, what were you going to do when you come out? Did you have any ideas or? Yeah, so um, in theory, <laughs> in theory, I was going to come out and take over the world and be a millionaire and, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, do all these things. Um, but in reality, you don't understand how... Um, how it affects you, how you know your perception changes, how your your view on life, how your associations to life, yeah, you just become a different person. It's a different culture. It's a different way of speaking. It's a different way of moving in prison than it is out here. And in the beginning, I was um, I wasn't really dancing well with the people out here. I s- spoke too loud. I spoke too fast for them. Mm. I looked too intense for them. Mm. And I wasn't having the success that I thought in my mind was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of calibration that I had to do. Really just like figuring out like, okay, what the hell is going on? Wow. You know, like why am I getting the reactions that I get? And I found myself often being scared. Scared. You know, there's a, there's, there's a culture, there's a fear culture in prison. You know, that you always have to, you can't be in the middle of um a place you have to have your back against the wall so no one would come behind you so that i had mm. a lot of that things going on i could always gravitate towards the wall i didn't feel uncomfortable i didn't feel comfortable being on the outside of seats small stuff i had crazy anxiety being around a lot of people because i thought of course bad stuff was going to happen so it's a, it's a matter of like re restructuring restructuring my mind yeah. into what is normal wow yeah and that took um I think that's going to take a long time. I'm still doing it now. Really? But in the beginning, it was um, <clears throat> it was really hard. So I guess prison is, you don't ever really feel safe. Mm, right. And you come out with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just, it just doesn't make sense. You know, you think, you ask yourself, okay, the way I view life right now, this is the way I view life right now, this is what I want. It, it's, it's not cohesive. It's not, it's not going to happen thinking the way... You're gonna think of it. For example, let's say you have a a, a phobia of um of, pub, of public speaking, yet you want to speak in front of crowds. It just it just doesn't make sense. One or either your dreams have to change, or your phobia has to change. So um, there's a lot of that happening. 
I had a lot of anxiety towards people. I had a lot of fear towards people. Um, views about this, about that, that I had to change. And I still, sometimes, uh, they come up. And I think, I ask myself, why do I think, oh, because this happened in prison. Oh, because growing up in Oakland, that's that's what that's the way I think about it like this. So it's just a matter of catching them and um, kind of like mm-hmm. seeing if they're worth those thoughts, those associations are worth keeping or if you want to change them. So So what was the plan? How were you going to make a lot of money? <laughs> you, go, you must have read a, a book on, on making money and then you decided that's what I'm going to do when I <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, in my mind, yeah, in my mind, I was like this really charismatic person that everyone was going to love and just everyone was going to invite are, me Miguel, to You are, Miguel. You are that person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, minus the... Um, yeah, minus the, the crazy success. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought for some reason I was gonna come out like the Monopoly guy, you know, like really, like in abundance, you know, having a whole bunch of money, having like really powerful friends. But how you were know. you gonna make that money? Did you have an an idea? Or? Um, yeah, and that's that's where that's where I failed uh, to to plan out. Um, you didn't uh, plan it out. <laughs> I, didn't plan, yes. I was just hoping, just mad. I was gonna open Magic up, open, was... open up a briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I thought, um, I really like uh, boxing. I thought boxing that was gonna be my thing. Either uh, me boxing myself or, or training people, mm-hmm. and also like speaking in front of people. I also love like interactions and changing people's minds and inspiring. So getting money off that was a. Uh, like the ultimate way I was gonna um, have it. So I came out and uh, reality hit and the bills hit and uh, my phone bill hit and helping my mom out, you know, it happened to me. So it was like a really change of plan. Mm-hmm. You know, not that I'm upset, but that's <clears throat> there's absolutely uh, social pressure and economic pressure. Well, it was another thing also, like, in prison, you couldn't really try anything. Mm. You can only imagine. Mm. Oh, this is what's going to... Absolutely. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. You didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, you came out and, yeah, you had... You have to learn, like, we all learn, Mm. you know, Mm. with our Mm. ideas, just that you weren't really in this world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You only imagined how you're going to do it, how it's going to work. Right, right, right. And there was a a sense of... um, embarrassment you know at the realization that i for one have never owned a car i you know had haven't gone to college whereas my friends they've done this they've done that and i wanted to be a provider i wanted to love my people i wanted to take care of my people i wanted them to feel safe and empowered you know but because i haven't done anything because i'm owning college because i've like this and that all these things that i haven't done because i was in prison for seven years the uh there's like this cold wind mm-hmm. of embarrassment that just hits you mm-hmm. and um yeah, you just have to learn how to breathe breathe despite that yeah and and do well like you do so now you have a, you're a trainer you train yeah, people yeah 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 funny story how that came out so i believe in there's this thing called the law of attraction that says that <laughs> yeah whatever you think about is going to happen right so uh there's that there's like this way of the people think that miraculously it's gonna happen i think that you have to believe it and you also have to work really really hard for it while maintaining that vision so um i got out and it seems like everyone just knew what i had to do oh yeah you find a job at a restaurant you find a job at a cafe you save up a little money this and that you take it really slow really slow but when you're speaking to someone like me 
<laughs> that's like really, there is no slow there is no slow <laughs> I couldn't come yeah no. I was like what <laughs> <laughs> so um you know when I got these job offers you know to um, you know cell phone company stores cafe I just I knew that that wasn't it that 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 wasn't it that I could I could I could do more I could get more I just waited for a couple of weeks and weeks and weeks turns into months two months and by that time, I'm I'm feeling the pressure that I haven't really provided anything. I'm reading, I'm I'm doing my things, but I haven't really provided anything. And then my friend, who works in San Francisco, says that I could get a job with him at a um, physical therapy clinic as a physical therapist aide. And I thought it was too good to be true because I don't know anything about the body as far as like anatomy and physiology. But I kept I kept the spirit, I kept the faith, and I went to go interview the guy. The, the boss and I just kept on talking and talking <laughs> and talking yeah and I just really appreciate that he gave me the opportunity and um ultimately after the um <laughs> I say like hour of me speaking he gave me he offered me a job and um he asked me the, the days available so yeah I got so the job was, there that's your job there you go that was the job I wanted that I really really waited for yeah so that turned into um it's like fascination with the human body and with healing. And I just knew that I wanted to heal, but I also wanted to make strong. Yeah. So I started picking up clients to train them, like as personal training. I started studying with that, started studying more anatomy, started learning from the best, looking at the best personal trainers, things that they, that, that they did mixed with who I am, mixed with my energy, mixed with the books that I've uh, read, mixed with my concepts and I created something called Centaur Athletics, which is my personal training company. And a centaur, people ask me all the time, what is a centaur? And a centaur is in Greek mythology, it's a half horse, half man. And I really, really related to that because half horse, half man, it's the body of a beast, but the mind and the elegance, the artistry of a human. And I very, very much related to that, that I could do crazy things because of my boxing background, because of my uh, football, basketball, sports. But I, I feel like that my mind is in control. I just wanted to give that to people. I felt like there's either people who are really, really smart and not as tuned with their body, and there's people who are really, really brilliant with their body, but not as smart. And I wanted to bridge the gap. I wanted to uh, kind of like introduce artistry into the body. And intellect. I started training people. I started training people and And your approach is very unique <laughs> yeah. to training. How does your training look like? S so what I do in my trainings, like I said, once again, like based on the books that I've read, I do to the people what was done to me. For example, when I was boxing, when I noticed the weakness of minds, I would target that. For example, I had a really, really good right hand, but I was really bad with my left. And this is a true story. I remember um, not punching, not even putting the, uh, the, the right glove on so I could work it, so I could work on my left. And what happened after six months, my left became so good that my left became my good hand. So I had this really crazy hand, like Popeye. I had like these two really nice hands. And I, I think I applied that aspect to life. Like if public speaking is something I have trouble with, that's what I'm going to target, you know, for example, and, and anything else. Like if you know, breathing or uh, intimacy or anything else is something I, I, I find um, limiting me. That's what I'm going to target. So with my personal training, there's people who are naturally intense, you know, really aggressive to work out. 
They love doing weights. They love like high octane things. The opposite of that is being sensual, is being coordinated, is being elegant, you know, is being flexible. So you give a person what they're lacking. Interesting. So they're fully balanced and it's like a novel thing to them, you know, uh, developing this side of them that isn't, you know, as strong. And then from that, you just get this amazing person. You get a centaur. And the same thing works on the opposite side. Some people who are naturally elegant, people who um, flow more, they oftentimes, they're not really good with the high octane things, you know, so you build that with them and then they just have this amazing things. And to me, that's what, that's what professional athletes are. They're the, they're the intensity mixed with the elegance. Gymnastics, football players, basketball players, boxing. I see that, and I provide that to people I train with. How do you see what they need? Like, how do you see what the opposite is? Because I lift a lot of weights. Mm -hmm. You would do the opposite with me because knowing that, or you can see something is lacking. Absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, <clears throat> in time, you can just you kind of like feel it. You know, um, I remember the story. There's this guy, yeah, he came in our first session, and he had this crazy, like, vision towards me. Like, he had this crazy eyesight that he wouldn't blink. So off top, you, you knew that he was more of a high-octane guy. You know, you tell him to do a 1,000 push-ups, he'll do it, you know, with, like, five shots of coffee, he'll do it. So um, you, knew, you know what they need. I started telling him about this, that he has to develop, like, the sensualness, the, like, the letting go, like, the dance. Because he's very high octane, you know, which, which I thought was like evident to every anyone who, who would talk to him. And he just asked me, he's like, "How'd you know? How'd you like? You're a mind reader, or what?" And I was <laughs> like, "Bro, like it's kind of obvious." But I told him, I was like, "No, nah, man, it's uh, it's the way you cut your hair." And he's like, "What do you mean, <laughs> like my hair?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but um, you, see, you see patterns. You see patterns of people. You see the way they walk. Mm -hmm. You know, some people glide. When they walk, and you know that they're more the sensual type. Mm -hmm. and you some people, um, you see other people walk really fast in lines, and you you know that they're the high octane type. So it's really very easy. observant. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, where does the um, public speaking thing come in? I mean, obviously, you you shared how the speaking always was very important in person, how you speak, how you approach people. But what do you want to do with that now? Hmm. I believe that I was in prison because, of course, it was my responsibility. Like, I did what I did. Um, but I think the culture had a big influence as far as why I made the decisions I made. I thought I was in tune with what I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. You know, Oakland taught me that I had to, you know, walk like this and be like this. So I did that, and um, I went in prison for it. So there was a confusion, you know, that happened to me. And I feel like this confusion is, is still out there. I still see people my age, you know, with low income who don't really have role models, you know, subscribing to that, to that way of being. There's a culture. There's a lot of lack of exposure going on in my communities. And that's like so painful to me seeing like these amazing, brilliant, creative, loving little kids, young men, young women, that they just don't really know how to be in life. So what I want to do with my public speaking, with anything, with any conversation that I have, with the way I move, with everything, is to try to expose people to a different way of being, coming from the 
upbringing that I came in, coming from the environment that that, that I came in, they could relate better to me than someone else, you know, with a suit and tie selling them like a million dollars, like um, a dream, like hey, you could you could be it, you could you could do it too. Nah, there's 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 a lack of like connection there. There's a lack of like trust there, you know, and I feel like I could bridge the gap. So with public speaking, I want to do that in everything. Mm-hmm. I want to want to want to instill that in um everything, especially to the youth because they're the future. Why do you care so much? Hmm. And I'm playing devil's advocate, but why why does it matter to you to make a difference? When I was reading, I I would just see amazing these amazing people like Mahatma Gandhi. I see uh, Leonardo da Vinci. I see these greats, Abraham Lincoln, Nelson Mandela. These amazing people who contributed so much to life, and I just knew that that's what I want. I was that's what I was meant to do, to give myself. Because what's the alternative? <laughs> you know, living a life of of pleasure, hedonism, like. It just doesn't make sense to live life for yourself. I think that there's much more meaning living life in service. There's so much more pleasure to be found, you know, seeing people transform, you know, creating a different environment, <laughs> you know, and knowing that uh, you had some, it's like a seed, knowing that you were not the seed, not, you know, anything too special, but knowing that you, you know, were a little bit of water, you know, for that seed to grow, a little bit of sunlight, a little bit of soil, the proper soil. You know, um, yeah, I just don't see any other alternative to living life than uh, that of service. I love that. <laughs> I love that. It took me so long to get to that point. I've always lived in my own little world for most of my life. And, really? And it, and it was just like you said. There's always this feeling that... This, this this is not it. There's got to be more to life. Be more. And you search, you know, and you, you buy another purse or you buy a better car or you, you know, eat at another nice fancy restaurant. Mm-hmm. It just is mm-hmm. not, it doesn't do mm-hmm. it. It doesn't do it. It's not it, right? And until I started doing something that I just wanted to do that didn't really give me any income, <sighs> but with the idea to give from myself mm. and help others on their journey, which was my podcast and that's how I started. Love it. That's when I realized yes. this is what makes me happy. <laughs> people always, but people don't get it, right? People <laughs> say, well, why it. are you doing this? Yeah. What's this for? Yeah. And, and, and I can never really explain it. But I am, my hope is that it helps other people Absolutely. to do what they want to do, mm. to step up and forget about what everybody else says and, you know, follow follow what everybody else does Mm. do your own thing Mm. and add value along the way you know help someone along the way Mm. this is how i this is why i do this and uh i didn't know that about you i didn't know that that's what drives you (laughs) and i love that i really do yeah yeah, it's uh, quite the motivator um yeah there's there's certain things that you this is they just can't be logically explained like it's a phenomenon you know like you can't conceptualize that Giving your giving yourself would feel good. Like that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't make sense that trusting someone to, someone to come inside and um to your heart. It doesn't make sense logically that that would be a good thing. But there's there's certain things that you just can't conceptualize. Certain things that you just have to experience. And I think love and um services is one of those most major ones. Um, there's this guy, one of my um one of the people that had the biggest impact in my life. His name is King Solomon in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
God asked him, um, he was the son of King David, of course, and God asked him, what do you want? Like, I, could, I will grant you anything you want. Do you want, um, do you want lands? Do you want money? And King Solomon said that he doesn't want that. He just wants uh, wisdom. Mm. Like, that's what he wanted. And I remember being like, I think 19 reading that. And I'm like, you get it. You understand. <laughs> yeah. So uh, King Solomon went out to rule. Very wise guy. He did so much. Um, he had... He had a lot of marriages. He built a lot of lands. He had great relationships. He had tons of money. He had um, plants. He had all these things. And he wrote a book about it. And he describes what he felt. He said, every time I was in a new endeavor, I'm paraphrasing, of course. He said, um, in each new endeavor, you know, you'd, you'd build this masterpiece and you, you would expect to be happy. But you wouldn't. Like, the happiness was just kind of just like leave so you um venture off a new in a new endeavor and you expect to be happy there once you once you um, once you reach the top the top and it just you just wouldn't feel it and he describes it as uh trying to grasp the wind mm-hmm. like chasing something and it's like trying to grasp the wind that you would you can never grasp the wind because that's that's not that's that doesn't say to you that's not satisfying that's not what fulfills you and i learned that i learned that early on and I mean, as any young man would do, like I tried it. I was like, wait a minute, I mean, let me put this in the test. So I tried that. I tried out making a lot of money. I tried being really social, and um, it felt good momentarily. But if you do something long enough, you you see, you get to see the real nature of it. And if you do it long enough, you understand that these things do not, mm. do not fulfill you as much as service does, as much as uh, connection with a. Uh, with God or the world or the universe or with life does. So Miguel, where do you see yourself down the road? I mean, you still have a whole life ahead of you. Young, <laughs> you have <laughs> dreams. What, what do you see yourself doing? I think we have a really cool sunset out there. It's an amazing <laughs> sunset. The colors are just yeah. uh, like hypnotizing me. <laughs> 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 I'm really sure, exactly the exact destination but I do see myself um being around kids like having um influence over kids like speaking to kids and speaking to ultimately men so they could speak to kids that was like <laughs> the worst experience man being in prison that I would see men and not see like these undisciplined men these mean men and that's a euphemism and you see them interact. And I would think that they are husbands, they are fathers, and just thinking about how they are gonna teach their kids. And I just thought about my dad teaching me, and I thought about my dad teaching my mom. And um, that just, cause it just, it just like fills you with this rage, this crazy white, red rage, knowing that they're just misleading someone. So down the road, I do see myself um, giving myself into that cause into just like exposing people to this kind of like different way of being. Well, you, you, and I always tell you that you haven't, you have a story. I mean, we all have a story, right? But you have a story. I mean, you have, you've been through things. And mm-hmm. I think that's a story that young people can hear. I mean, I'm, I mentored this girl from East Oakland. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever told you this, but 
I can relate to a lot of the things that you say, you know. Right. It, I have this rage inside every time I, you know, I pick her up and I drop her back off and yeah, she lives with her grandma, but, you know, then sometimes dad is there and dad is not capable mm-hmm. to be a dad. And you and see the effect that he's going to have on yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, I see it, you know, and I, and, and I see why all the other people are out on the street hmm. living the way they're living right. because of the lack of role models. Right, right, right. Because right. of lack of stable mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. in their lives, mm-hmm. and it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. They're not less creative. They're not less brilliant. She is They're a smart girl. Mm-hmm. Her brother is smart. These kids are smart, but unfortunately, they need mm-hmm. some direction mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. capable adults, mm-hmm. and um, and that's what's lacking in in our in our world in many parts of our world. Mm-hmm. So I think. I would encourage you to think, you know, the next steps. Where can you bring your story? I mean, and these kids, it's 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 interesting. You know, they're 12, 10, 12 years old, but they know more about life than mm. I knew at that age <laughs> because they're living it, because people getting shot out on their corner, because in school that's all they talk about from other kids. They're sadly, but they're sadly very close to reality. So they can hear. Right. You know, I think your story... Um, you can you can take your story into schools into wherever i believe it's very powerful thank you yeah i definitely think you know your toastmasters journey or your speaking journey it'll, it'll lead you somewhere because you have a story or whatever you're going to do with it but you know you can use your story to motivate people to do something better with their lives i think at the end do you have any questions for me <laughs> i'm just um it's like really humbled and really honored um, for you to have me, I think there's a lot of similarities between you and I, and um, mm-hmm. that the persistence and like you know you spoke about it, like you knew like the searching, you know you were like wait a minute you, you know you're, you're you're uncovering this, you're opening this door, you read this book, but there's just there's something missing. So I really commend you for that. Like that's really inspiring, you know. And your story about you coming over here, you know, from Germany, you know, finding like having a vision and fulfilling the vision you know in texas with a with a dream man with a dream house with a dream job <laughs> and uh seeing what happened to that but having a resilience to nonetheless keep on persevering so it's like now what you know and i think start over i'll start over and i think uh, people have a lot to learn from you as well mm-hmm. so i just really thank you and um, yeah, I think we, uh, I feel connected with you. I, you're right. I think we have some similarities. I love your determination and your ideas and your spark and keep going with it. <laughs> I will link to your website. What's the name of your website? Oh, it's uh, centaurathletics.com. Okay, cool. <laughs> I will link to it in the show notes for this podcast. And anything else any last piece of advice (laughs) (laughs) yes we're more courageous for other people than we are for ourselves one of our loved ones something bad would have have happened to them we do so much more for them than uh for ourselves because to ourselves we're sometimes frivolous but when it comes to other people we have so much more energy for them so to live a life for other people that gives you i mean from experience that gives you so much more if you like motivation think about that Think about the people you're here to serve, and I promise you, you'll just get just a little bit more motivation. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Miko. Thank you. Thank you for having me.